Hello and welcome. You are listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. We really hope that you enjoy and benefit from this episode. So, hello folks and welcome to yet another episode from the Sales Chat Show. Sales Chat Show, driving your sales forward in the Sales Chat Show studio. The usual guilty parties, Mr. Phil Jesson, Mr. Graham Jones and I'm Simon Hazeldean. This episode is called, if these critical factors are missing then any attempt to motivate your sales team is doomed to fail. Oh, that sounds awfully, awfully gloomy, doesn't it? Now, we're talking here on the subject of motivating sales teams and, and, you know, also thinking about your own personal motivation as well. I guess it's almost a bit of a uh, an obvious kind of thing to say that uh, motivation is a very important thing you know motivations can be kind of defined as the desire or willingness to do something and it definitely the more motivated people are it influences the kind of intensity and and persistence of behavior so obviously selling can be a challenging job so I, i think a wise sales manager will obviously focus on doing all they can do to contribute to the motivation of their sales team so we thought we'd, you know, bring in on a few episodes some kind of expert models and ideas and concepts and see how these may be able to be applicable to uh, our wonderful listeners on the sales chat show. So what we're going to look at here is um, psychologist Frederick Hertzberg's theory of what he called motivation hygiene theory or or two-factor theory. Um, his Hertzberg's article in the Harvard Business Review on on motivating employees is, I think, the second most reprinted requested article that that they have. And what he found out from his research were there were some specific factors that were related to job dissatisfaction and that different specific factors were related to um, job satisfaction. So some relate to job dissatisfaction, different ones to job satisfaction. So some of the dissatisfaction factors that were identified were, and these are things that will will make people feel less dissatisfied and therefore less motivated at work. So organisational policies, quality of line management, the relationship people have with line managers and colleagues, working conditions, status and, and feelings of kind of job security. These are all things that have um, a great ability to cause dissatisfaction and then things that make people feel more satisfied, sense of achievement, recognition, work being interesting, responsibility, opportunities for advancement and growth as an individual. So the, the key thing here is eliminating or sort of remedying the things, the factors that cause dissatisfaction doesn't create 
satisfaction. And neither will just adding to satisfaction factor. So according to Hertzberg, what you need to do is have a two-step approach, remove or reduce the dissatisfaction factor. So, you know, change policies that are causing difficulties. And then secondly, increase and enhance the satisfaction factors giving people good goals, challenges they can achieve, recognition, appropriate levels of autonomy, etc. So that's the kind of the, the principle. I'm now slightly nervous that I'm going to go across to our resident psychologist, Mr. Graham Jones, um, who's now going to tell me that's a load of old nonsense because it's, it has been around a while, hasn't it? So, no, Mr. Yeah. Jones. It's been around a long time, but um, I think... Uh, Harvard Business Review published the update to it in the mid 1960s. So um, it's 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 been around a long time. And the thing is that as other people have researched, you know, what motivates people to to do their job and stay in their job, actually, it always ends up in exactly the same place as Hertzberg told us all that time ago. And the crucial thing that you pointed out there is that job satisfaction and job dissatisfaction are two distinct separate things yeah you don't reduce dissatisfaction by increasing satisfaction they're not connected to each other and in fact as you mentioned it's the motivation hygiene hypothesis and yeah. so the hygiene factors those things like their salary those kind of you know uh, pol work policies those kind of things actually all you need to do is make it hygienic. You, you need to make those things, you know, the best possible things they can be. And then people will have no dissatisfaction with their job. But it doesn't mean they will be satisfied with their job. And so what you also need to do then is look at the things that will make them increasingly satisfied. So those things like a sense of achievement and, and those other factors that you spoke about. But crucial to that is the work itself. And I think that a lot of jobs are designed really badly. Um, so, you know, think about sales jobs, that somebody will have designed a sales job. And actually, it's a really dreadful job to do to, you know, for if you're a territory salesperson to be given a territory that covers, you know, 500 square miles and you've got to zigzag from here to there. Who in their right mind designed that kind of job? Um, it's not a satisfying job to do because it's been designed badly. So one of the crucial things to ensure that you keep your staff, and one of the one of the things that Hertzberg's motivation theory shows us is the reasons why people leave their job, and they leave their job because they get no sense of achievement, they uh, have lowered autonomy, they feel that somebody else is in charge of them. Uh, they may, I'm going to mention something that you're not going to want me to mention, but I will because... Uh, Set targets, here we go! <laughs> so, you know, the design of the job around targets, the responsibility to meet targets, um, all of that is about lack of autonomy. And I can see Phil has... Falling off his seat and, oh my God, yeah. but, but All of that are the reasons why there's a high churn in sales jobs because... 
people have a lowered sense of autonomy because their achievement is not personal achievement. This isn't the achievement they want to achieve. And that's what motivates them. Uh, so Herzberg shows us it's about personal achievement, not the achievement set to us by somebody else, um, because that's reducing our autonomy. So all of these things about designing good jobs that salespeople will really enjoy doing where they can set their own levels of achievement and be in charge of what they do, those are the kind of people who are going to stay with your business for a long time. And it's that that autonomy has come up a number of times. I mean, like David Rock, the American yep. neuroscientist, scarf model autonomy comes, and that's very, very kind of up to date there the you know strong social need for feeling in control and autonomy and you know that that relates to management style doesn't it? a lot of the a lot is fascinating that a lot of the a lot of the satisfaction factors are not hugely tangible obviously job advancement is if that means a promotion but a lot of them they are stylistic in nature it's all more to do with how people are, are managed than anything that's going to cost you any money for example, I can remember a colleague of mine as a, as a sales manager. She she took over um, sort of a territory down the south coast of the UK. And uh, for those of you not from the UK, there's a relatively small island called the Isle of Wight. It's a few miles in the sea from 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 the UK. And the salesperson used to travel to and from it. I think every week or two to to make his calls around the Isle of Wight. And the, the company policy at the time, because we were, we were trying to drive CRM adoption, was that it was mandatory policy that you must fill out the CRM after every call. And this guy's making eight calls a day uh, in, in the fast moving consumer goods industry. And when my colleague Leslie took him over, he was really unhappy, deemed dis really dissatisfied, didn't mind any other day. But when he went to the Isle of Wight, it meant his working day was much more longer and complicated because he had to fill out, he had to fill out the CRM. And so, you know, Leslie is sort of smart enough to sort of like, so what's what's the problem? He said, well, it's, it's, it's really inefficient, he said. And he said, because I have to sit in my car on the ferry for half an hour coming back. He said, I could just do all the CRM on the way back on the ferry. And she just said, well, is that the best idea then? He went, yeah. She said, okay, well, new policy for the Isle of Wight. And he went, are you allowed to do that? And she said, yes. <laughs> like, I don't know whether she was allowed to or not, but she just said, yes. And the guy went, oh, that's brilliant. And he, and he was therefore that dissatisfaction was moved. And she said it made a noticeable improvement in his overall, because he, he was listened to and, and something that was really well-intentioned but not appropriate to that particular yeah, bit. Of but that, so but that's a policy. that's a hygiene factor. So yeah, the, yeah. The, the relationship you have with your boss is a hygiene factor. So that's clearly a good relationship where the boss was listening and able to do something. Yeah. Actually, that makes them less dissatisfied with their job. It doesn't make them satisfied with their job, but we've removed dissatisfaction there yeah. by having a good relationship. Such so as sales leaders need a good relationship with all their staff because otherwise you have don't have that basis of almost no dissatisfaction and then you can build the satisfaction on top of that well it's also back to an episode we recorded earlier on trust right uh, your orientation to self right listen to your people it's it's one of those things it shows yeah. it shows 
it shows that you're you're there for them so you know it's it's you know at the very least it's going to remove feelings of dissatisfaction but i mean again that also is giving him some autonomy right responsibility to plan his day in you know trust him for goodness sake he's a bright guy you've recruited him he's a good he's a good operator just trust him to work efficiently and effectively because i mean the rather draconian policy was bought in because crm discipline was poor i understand that but if you need to make an exception to a rule make an exception to a rule right if you're gonna if you're gonna you know keep keep your folks keep your folks motivated mr jesson any any thoughts on we don't want to go down into your personal hygiene factors i know your sense of humor where you'll you'll go with this but any any thoughts from your side on hertzberg yeah. and i mean with yes. your I, I, I think I think sometimes uh, sales directors fail to recognise the importance and impact of responsibility and authority to decide. And uh, some years ago, I worked with a sales director who was very, very good at recognising that those two factors, responsibility and authority, were huge motivated. So in a team of half a dozen key account managers, which is basically how the thing was set up, uh, he had each of those key account managers responsible for being product managers as well as salespeople. What I mean by product managers is that each of them became an expert in one of the company's product areas. So when a new person joined the team, if they had any questions or queries about a particular product, they would go and talk to their colleague who was the product expert on that particular area. Also in this same team, the sales director uh, gave each of them a competitor to manage. So that meant they really had to dig deep and understand the competitor's strategies. It was a lot more than just having a look at a competitor's website. It was really thinking like a competitor. So if a member of the team was up against that named competitor, very sensibly, they would talk to a colleague and say, listen, I'm up against XYZ company later this week. What can you tell me about them? And the member of the team who was the competitor manager for XYZ, let's say, they would probably say things like, well, they're being very competitive on these prices, but they're struggling over here and they've just lost three of their people and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and also this sales director was very good at giving some members of the team responsibility and authority to design the training programs for new members of the team. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, very, very good at allocating one member of the team to sort out the exhibition stand at the NEC literally would say, right, that's your job to sort that out. Uh, tell us at the sales meeting in a month's time what your plan is. Uh, and another member of the team might be given the job of sorting out the, uh, the annual sales conference or something similar. But this was a sales director who delegated a huge amount of work but very, very cleverly made sure that attached to those pieces of work was massive amounts of responsibility and authority 
for others. He wasn't just carving up his own job and dumping it on the sales team, but he was taking out some nice juicy bits of the job and making sure that the salespeople, the account managers who were then responsible for those areas, they would really buzz and treat it as a fabulous opportunity to show their boss and their colleagues uh, what they were really made, mm -hmm. made of. So I think for me, responsibility and authority is massive, particularly if you can't give people a pay rise or you can't give them a promotion opportunity or, or you can't lift the gloom that might be around in the economy at that moment or whatever it is. But if you can give them responsibility and authority, in many cases, it will help them get through it. And it's a fabulous coping strategy when times are also a bit bleak. Yeah, I've had um, <clears throat> I've had a couple of times instances of of inheriting salespeople. Um, you know, when we've been involved in reorganisations or something, and you know they've sort of come with a bit of a motivation warning from the previous sales manager. You have to watch out for this one. You know, attitude and all this sort of stuff. And of course, you can't always you can't always you know work magic, but. I've had a, I did have a couple of successes, one of using somebody very experienced who was just starting to get a bit bored. You know, I think the job wasn't as interesting as it was. They were, they were, they could, they've mastered it. You know, they make great mentors for newbies, as you were mentioning, Phil, that was what just reminded me. They are brilliantly, they're great because they're so, they're good at the job. <laughs> then they, they're just really great to, to, to help with the onboarding, the induction, etc. Um, I've also done that for people to help them to advance to becoming a sales manager, giving them some early involvement in not managing people, but working with people or, you know, a smaller role like that. So, and, 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 and that's, that is also there. And then making it interesting by literally getting a guy to shift territories. And mm. it, as it was, it was closer, it was closer to where he lived, but the previous the previous wisdom in the company was we mustn't remove this particular individual from this particular city because he was he had been there for so long he was the ambassador and they were worried we would lose business but he was just so bored and we had a territory that we had to get rid of somebody and it was a was a was a terrible mess and i just put the super experienced guy on a new patch with his with his permission and involvement and then we put the newbie on the beautifully run patch and asked the old guy to mentor the newbie and introduce him in and bizarrely sales went up in the territory that allegedly was being managed really well because fresh pair of eyes sees the world sees the world differently and the guy who was a little bit bored now had an absolute mess of a territory we had obviously we had an interesting negotiation about sales targets, Graham's, as you would imagine. Is he, you know, he was, he said, well, if you're going to put me on something that's a mess, then you know, and uh, fair to we had a we had a we had a fun and flexible negotiation about what was expected of him, but not, you know, not without a few bumps in the road along the way. I wouldn't like to pretend it was perfect, but it made such a difference because if not, I think you'd have just carried on being bored. So, you know, when I look at that. When I look at the, the, and I wish I'd known about the Hertzberg thing at the time, I was just sort of going on a bit of gut and common sense. But when you look at it, his work became more interesting. He was given some responsibility. You know, he achieved a lot. 
and he was able to achieve things and and of course we recognized him you know for for what for what he did so sometimes you just have just just take a fresh look at it and uh yeah i mean it it's a good job you did recognize him recognition is a part of the satisfaction factors yeah. when people are recognized for what they achieve um that makes them more satisfied but the person who's bored with their job is not satisfied with their well, job yeah absolutely and um this is where we end up in one of the problems with hertzberg's theory so um one of the the issues with it is that we can see clearly what makes people uh, satisfied with their job and we can see clearly where the dissatisfactions go. The problem is that when people go from satisfaction to no satisfaction, so they're, they're not going into a dissatisfaction because Hertzberg is quite clearly separating that out. So they're no longer satisfied with their job. And what happens is that people who are no longer satisfied with their job actually then start blaming other people. So they start blaming the dissatisfaction factors. They start blaming company policy. They start blaming their boss. And so the, the person who is no longer satisfied actually ends up not seeing it as a problem with themselves, whereas actually their satisfaction is a problem with themselves. So, for example, they're not achieving as much as they used to achieve. Well, if you've given them autonomy to achieve, the problem that's ended up in the boredom part is their own making, not the because everything else in the hygiene factors has stayed the same. So nothing is affecting the dissatisfaction side of the equation. What's happened is they've done less, they've achieved less, but they haven't, they don't recognize that it's their problem. And this is the, the problem with Hertzberg's theory, that it suggests that actually people who are given autonomy and achieve, that's absolutely right. But here comes the problem. Well, once they've achieved something, once they've been recognised for everything they can do, once they've grown their um, self into the role as much as they can, where there's nothing else to do, they become bored. And this is why it's really important to actually look at people who have got very high levels of satisfaction and work out what do I need to do to change their job description, to change what they're doing, to give them new uh, roles, to give them new responsibilities, because that's those are the kinds of things that are on the satisfaction side. And if I, if I as a sales director, don't do that, I might be thinking that they're they're really great in the territory, but actually they're dissatisfied, they're not satisfied, and they're going to leave. Yeah, they just they just start going through the motions, yeah. right? And and they are if if they're feeling like that, and because they're good you know the recruitment consultants and the headhunters, they keep their eyes and ears open for the good ones, right? Because they're the ones that they're going to be able to place and they're after the really good ones. So, you know, if I was a recruitment consultant, I would be looking for great people who are just plateauing and their yeah. company's not doing anything for them. You're going to get them into a job interview really, yeah. really easily, you know, and that's your, and that's your point. You, sometimes in a team you've got people whose performance is maybe not so great and you you disproportionately uh, maybe understandably invest your time there and you maybe neglect some of the better performers i think you do so at your peril you absolutely do it's not an easy not an easy thing to do to keep your eye on everybody but i think that's what you've got to do phil yeah, I, I think I came across uh, Hertzberg in the early 80s, and, and some of the things I remember about it is the need to personalise some of yeah. these motivators. So 
if you take, for example, something like recognition and praise, um, somebody within the team will like that delivered publicly. Somebody else will die a thousand deaths if that is delivered publicly. Somebody might like that delivered face to face over a beer. Somebody else might like that delivered on an email copied to the chief executive. So how these things are actually delivered has to be incredibly well tailored if they're going to be effective. And um, two lovely one-liners I can remember from my exposure to it in the 80s. First of all, uh, people will deliver good work if we drive them, but they will deliver exceptional work if they drive them themselves. <laughs> yes. um, and the last uh, little one-liner, again, which I've often used, is that the, the door to someone's motivation is locked from the inside. And incompetent or lazy sales leaders kick the door down and say, come out to play. I know what you need. I think good sales leaders will take time to work out what each member of the team is motivated by. And then one day they hear that lovely click on the door as that individual unlocks the door and comes out to play. They control it not the sales director, they control it. Because, of course, any theory is going to take a broad brush approach, okay? But I think Phil's point there is, you know, it's different strokes for different folks is the old cliche that's applied to that. You know, people are, are motivated in different ways. I was, at a, I was at a conference one time when they were, they were giving kind of awards out to people in the sales team, and they, it was a lovely, I'd never seen it done before, and so the MD stood up and, you know, this guy, Matt, Matt, you've, you know, you've won an award for your, whatever it is, your performance this year. And normally, you know, they tend to do one size fits all awards, don't they? But they've done a load of research on everybody. And the guys brought up on stage. And of course, to Phil's point, not everybody wants to be dragged up on stage, but they said, uh, yeah, an award. And um, we understand you, you really like a bit of gambling. You know, you're a bit of a, yeah, you like blackjack and all that sort of stuff. And the guy went, yeah, yeah, I do actually. So I've asked all the people in his team, what was he really like? He said, well, Matt, you know, you've won whatever it is, you know, Superstar of the Year Award. And uh, we're going to fly you and your partner to Vegas for a week. And we're going to give you $1,000 worth of uh, chips for the, um, you know, gambling things for the, I mean, you can see the guy was like, whoa, Vegas, you know? And every single person had got something uniquely tailored to them and they must have put a huge amount of research and effort in in to kind of find out find out what it was but yeah. everybody was like blown away i'd never i'd never seen it done before and it must have been a nightmare for them to sort all of the things out but the impact was phenomenal you know yeah lovely so it's a nice and well nice. you're leading into other theories of motivation now that's uh, extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation well, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, locus of control but uh, we i'm sure we're running out of time to talk about all of those <laughs> yeah well before mr yeah, and it'll come back to sales targets in some way as an extrinsic form of motivation yeah, yeah. We, know, we know where it's going so i'm definitely <laughs> going to chop this episode right now so folks uh ho hopefully that's been useful for you that two-stage approach to looking at those you know motivation of your sales team and i think it's a thing it's a constant ongoing thing to keep monitoring across your team because things can change ever so ever so quickly so uh, 
don't neglect don't neglect anybody in the team so we've got about 200 episodes or so of the sales chat show now in the back catalog they're all available from all the major podcast platforms so wherever you prefer to get your podcast from you'll find the sales chat show if you subscribe you'll make sure you get updated on the latest episodes and they are updated on a regular basis in the meantime good luck with uh, motivating yourself and also your sales team and wish you good luck and good selling folks You have been listening to an episode of The Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. And from everyone here at The Sales Chat Show, we'd like to wish you good luck and good selling. (laughs) 